Father, we come to you and we ask that you reveal your truth, that you reveal your character to us as we study your word. Be with our kids as they study Genesis. Be with them as they study of how people sin and they rebel against you. I pray that you are planting seeds in their hearts that will one day grow up and remind them of how to obey your law and remind them of the stories that are true. For us, as we study Mark and we look at the cursing of the fig tree, God, give us eyes to see and ears to understand your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So open with me, open your Bible to Mark chapter 11. And we're going to be reading verses 12 to 14. And 20 and 21, beginning in verse 12, On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, to it May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Make a note that we are skipping now down uh, through verses 15 and 19. We preached on the cleansing of the temple last week. We're going to pick up with where the story ends in verses 20 and 21. It says, And they passed by in the morning. They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. As we come to Mark chapter 11, I want to remind you, as I have reminded you in past sermons, that we are continuing our study in the book of Mark. We're in the final days of Jesus, the final week of Jesus. And I think without exaggeration, we can say that we are beginning the most important week about the most important person about the most important event in all of human history. And I mean that exactly as I say it, so that you would understand and believe that the things that we are taking up are the foundation of the Christian faith. I want to give you a quick recap so you can remind yourself of where we're at. As best as we can discern... We, we can't get absolute uh, clarity on this, but we think it's year 33 A.D. Because it's Passover and because we know how the Jewish calendar worked, we are pretty sure that the dates in 33 A.D. are Sunday, March 29th, Monday, March 30th, Tuesday, March 31st, these accounts that we're going through, that where we have been and where we're going through. It is, as I said, the last week of Jesus' life. And after spending three years preaching and teaching about the kingdom, and all over Israel, but most specifically in the northern areas, in an area called Galilee, Jesus and his disciples make their way down to Jerusalem for Passover. And as they're on their way, they've been continuing, Jesus has been continuing to teach, And as he approaches Jerusalem for Passover this last week, he stays in Bethany. 
We have previously learned about a healing of blind Bartimaeus that took place in Jericho on the way to Bethany. And as we began to unpack Mark chapter 11, we saw on Sunday, March 29th, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10, of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. We know that the end of that account, this is Mark 11, verse 11, that has Jesus taking in the temple and looking. Jesus goes back to Bethany on Monday, March 30th, AD 33. We have this story of Jesus getting up the next day and cursing this fig tree. Later in that day, when he actually arrives at the temple, we know that Jesus cleansed the temple. That's what we studied last week, Mark 11, 15 through 19. And we know that Jesus' cleansing of the temple was fulfillment of Malachi 3, 1 to 3, where we are told that suddenly the Lord will come to his temple. And he will, the image that we're told is it's a, a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. A, a fuller is someone who cleaned the uh, fabrics or clothes. And so we're given this picture that the Lord would come to his temple. If you read the, the last part of this story, verses 20 and 21, that's clearly Tuesday, March 31st. Jesus teaches his followers about, uh, first of all, Peter sees that the fig tree is cursed, and then Jesus is going to teach them. So what we have in front of us are three days in the last week of Jesus' life. The title for this morning is Nothing But Leaves, and it comes straight from the text. It comes right from uh, 11.13 where it says that as Jesus approached the tree, he found nothing but leaves. So the aim of our study this morning, and I'll tell you a little funny story about uh, our passage. I have the habit of praying while we're driving to, uh, to, uh, to the, our Sunday service every Sunday. Don't worry, don't close my eyes. I'm driving with my eyes wide open. And I pray about the... The sermon, I pray about uh, our children's ministry. I pray for our worship. I pray for every person uh, who is participating in our worship. And this morning I prayed about the cursing of the fig tree. In the middle of my prayer, Ezra interrupted and said, Why did Jesus curse a fig tree? It's innocent. Middle of my prayer. And I said, Ezra, that is a great question because that is what we're going to unpack today. I think Ezra's question was, is probably one of the first questions that might come into your heart and mind, is why the cursing of a fig tree? So this morning with our time, what we want to look at and what I want to try to put in front of you today is that the cursing of the fig tree has two lessons for us. The first is an object lesson. We're going to see that the cursing of the fig tree is an object lesson that Jesus is acting out with his disciples, and specifically that applies to his people Israel. And that's kind of part one. We won't get into the second lesson. We're going to save that for the next time we preach on Mark. We're going to take a look at this second passage. And if you noticed, I didn't read the whole passage on the lesson from the fig tree. I only read verses 20 and 21. But if you looked at your text, it goes through verse 25. We're going to save that lesson because Jesus teaches a different lesson. 
One is object lesson. And the second is going to be a lesson about the cursing of the fig tree. Two separate lessons. What we're going to do today is look at the first lesson. So here's our outline. Our outline is quite simple this morning. We're going to look at the story of the cursing of the fig tree. We're going to look at the meaning of the cursing of the fig tree. And lastly, we're going to look at the connection to the cleansing of the temple. So let's begin with the story of the fig tree. I'm going to read these passages, the passage again before we begin to study it together. I'll start in verse 13. It says, Seen in the distance a fig tree in leaf. He, meaning Jesus, went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat from you again. And the disciples heard it. The first thing we need to do this morning is I need to give you an important piece of information that is not in this text, but would have been absolutely clear and evident to the disciples because they were Jewish, because they come from a certain history and a certain story. There's a certain family history for every Jew that they would have known But when we enter the text, we don't enter the text with the same understanding of Jesus and his disciples. So I want to share for you something that's really significant that is going to help us understand the passage better. And that is Old Testament imagery that you need to know. In the Old Testament, many, many times, Israel is compared to God's fig tree. And if you know that, then you might better understand what was being acted out in this passage. You might know that the fig tree might mean something more than like Ezra's question, where Ezra said, why would Jesus curse an innocent fig tree? Well, if you knew that the fig tree was symbolic of something and God had compared Israel to a fig tree multiple times, then you would certainly hear the story different. So let me show you in the Old Testament passages that talk about Israel as God's fig tree. The first passage is Jeremiah 8.13. We have already been referencing Jeremiah uh, and many of the prophets as we've unpacked Mark. But let's look at Jeremiah 8.13. There is context to this, and I'll just tell you the context is God giving Jeremiah a word of judgment against his people for their, what they, it was called their treachery and their sin. And Jeremiah 8.13 says this, it says, when I would gather them, declares the Lord. So when God desired to gather his people, look what it says. He says, there were no grapes on the vine, no figs on the tree, and the leaves are withered, and what I gave them had passed away from them. So when we read Jeremiah, and we understand the story of Israel, we understand a story that God, it says, the things that I had given had passed away from them. What had God given them? His law. God had given them his presence. He had given them the covenant. He had given them his promises. And on top of all that, he had given them uh, kings who would constantly lead them back. You, if you study Israel's history, they had some terrible, wicked kings who would lead them in idolatry. And God, in his grace, would send prophets. And then he would send kings to bring his people back to the worship of God. And what God is saying here in Jeremiah 8.13 is, says, despite all that I gave you, I came to you looking for grapes on the vine. There was none. 
I came to my fig tree looking for figs. There was none. And so if you understand the history, Jeremiah, this is past tense, right? Jesus is now several hundred years past the time of Jeremiah. But Jeremiah spoke a word of prophetic judgment. Why? Because the people had not responded to God's word. Instead, they, they continued in their idolatry. A second text is Joel 1, 6-7. Notice here's another prophet. And Joel says this, For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. Who's Joel talking about? He's talking about when Babylon comes and is going to conquer his people. And listen to what it says. He says, Babylon laid waste his vine and splintered my fig tree. Same exact two images. Israel as a vine, a vine that should have produced grapes. Israel as a fig tree that should have produced fruit. And in Joel, what we see is God is, is uh, fast-forwarding to the point where he said, one day a nation is going to come up against you, and, and they will lay waste to my vine, and they will splinter my fig tree. And it says it was stripped down off... Uh, it has stripped off the bark, thrown it down, and their branches are made white. Now, understanding the imagery that was used of Israel will help you better understand this cursing of the fig tree. This, this is not a random tree, and it's not a random image. And when we read this, because we are not coming from a background where we have been Jewish, or where we have been steeped in the Old Testament, then one thing before we begin to study this passage, do you see that God has been... And by the way, these aren't the only passages. I picked two of, of dozens I could have picked. But this just gives you an idea of God referring to Israel as his fig tree. Okay, now, let's move forward and let's move from the background, the context that you need to understand the cursing of this fig tree to the actual situation. Here's what we see. Jesus is leaving Bethany. Bethany is uh, a couple mile walk, a few kilometers, uh, to Jerusalem. Early in the morning, and Jesus sees a tree off in the distance. He looks at that tree, and, he, and Mark says and it's full in leaf. Now, if you don't know much about fig trees then let's talk about fig trees for a second. I'm not an expert. I had to read it myself and figure this out. Here's what I can tell you. Mark actually gives us a commentary. Because Mark says, because it wasn't the season for figs. But earlier I gave you an idea. We believe it's 33 AD. We know it's about March 30th or so. Here's the deal about figs. Figs bear fruit in June. And with figs, they, there's something unique about the fig tree is that when the leaves come in, almost simultaneously, so when it's full in leaf, the fruit comes. So some trees will have, uh, will, will have leaves, you know, they'll grow in the spring, but it might not be till fall, like an apple. But something unique about the fig tree is that when the leaves came, the fruit came almost simultaneously. So when Jesus is walking, and he sees a fig tree, and it says full in leaf, 
what do you think Jesus' expectation may have been? So even though it's March, it's almost April, May, June. So almost a month early, a little over a month early, we see one tree. And by the way, if you know anything about fruits, not every tree will grow and produce at exactly the same time. There's like little climates and microclimates. So, if, for example, if you just said, when do apples, uh, when, when are apples produced or when is it on the trees? Well, it depends on the kind of apple tree and it depends on where it is in Germany or in the world. That there, is, there is differences. So Jesus is walking. He sees a tree that is full in leaf and he thinks, that tree might have fruit. Why? Because it's full in leaf. And a tree that's full in leaf also will have fruit. And we find out that Jesus is sorely disappointed. Because it had no figs on the tree. In fact, the scriptures tell us, and this is our title, nothing but leaves. Now what happens next is quite interesting. And in fact, it kind of goes against how we think Jesus would behave, which should grab our attention. Because when Jesus approaches and he finds out that the tree is full of leaves but has no fruit, he says to the tree, may no one ever eat from you again. What are those kind of words? It's a curse. It's, it's a judgment, prophetic judgment. Which is strange, I refer back to my son's question today, because one, we don't see Jesus act like this very often. And two, it's a tree. It's a tree. Now, just let your minds wander for a second. Be reminded of who Jesus is. Jesus turned water into wine. When Jesus fed 5,000, and again fed uh, another crowd of where the scriptures say 4,000, he took a few loaves and he took a few fish and he made them able to feed thousands. He created food out of nowhere. When Jesus came face to face with the blind, he healed them. They went from non-sight to sight. When he came face to face with the lame, he healed them. They went from not walking to walking. When he came face to face with leprosy, he healed them. And they went from diseased to clean. Wouldn't your expectation be that the kind of miracle that Jesus would do would say, this tree doesn't have fruit. Bang! There is more fruit that can feed Israel. Guys, grab some. Let's take it in. This will be the miracle of the fig tree. I walked up. It only had leaves. Watch now. There is thousands of figs. It's like they're shooting figs off the tree. Catch them. Take them with us. It'll be another wonderful miracle of how I took something that was non-life and made it living. How I took something that had no fruit and made much fruit. Wouldn't you think that would be the story? It only seems to make sense. This is who Jesus was. So why in the world would the only person who could actually take a fig tree and make it bear fruit curse it? There's something more to the story. And if you're reading, you've got to read with some curious eyes and a curious mind to say, why would that happen? And that's where we need to head next. 
Because Jesus doesn't do what we would think. In fact, what Jesus does catches his disciples' attention. Because Mark says, and the disciples heard it. Of course they heard it. What's Mark saying is basically, they made note of this because Jesus doesn't normally talk like this. So let's move to our next section. If that's the story of the fig tree, let's begin to talk about the meaning of the fig tree. We need to answer why would Jesus curse a fig tree. There's something more to the story here. And there is. So let's go back to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 7. Last week when we looked at the cleansing of the temple, we read Jeremiah 7, 1 through 11. And specifically in that passage, we see... This one specific phrase that you have made my house into a house or or, or a den of robbers, right? We looked at Jeremiah 7 and it was prophetic judgment. What I didn't read to you was the rest of the passage because I wanted to save it for today. Because you're going to see a reference in this prophetic judgment that Jesus is going to uh, be speaking and preaching about in the temple to exactly this kind of thing that we just saw, the cursing of the fruit of the trees. We're going to start in verse 16. I'm going to read portions all the way through 26, just so you have a, a, uh, a little bit of context. This is Jeremiah speaking to the people of Israel on behalf of God. It says, as for you, do not pray for this people. So God is instructing Jeremiah, don't even pray for these people. He says, or lift up a cry or, or a prayer for them. Do not intercede with me. I will not hear you. Do you not see what they're doing in cities like Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? He says, their children gather wood. The fathers kindle the fire and the women need dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. Let me just stop there and explain. What's happening here is worship of idols. The children are literally being used to gather the firewood. The husbands are starting the fire. And the women are making the little cakes, the, 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 the little uh, food offering that they were offering to a God other than God himself. And by explaining it this way, what we're seeing is literally from the, the bottom to the top, from the children to the fathers to the mothers, everybody is involved in the worship of false gods. And it says, and they pour out their drink offerings to other gods, and they provoke me to anger. Is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves to their own shame? Therefore, thus says the Lord God. And here is where we see the connection to our passage. Behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place upon man and beast upon the trees of the field and the fruit of the ground. It will burn and not be quenched. What will burn? Not the fields, God's anger. What is his curse on? The fruits of the field and the fruits of the ground. In verse 23, if you pick up, it says, I gave this command to them, Obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the way that I command you that it might be well with you But notice what happens in verse 24. But they did not obey or incline their ear, 
but they walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their own evil hearts. And they went backward. I love this phrase. They went backward and not forward. From the day your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all of my servants and the prophets to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. So when we look at the cursing of the fig tree, we have to understand that Jesus is working within a context. There's a context of Israel's relationship with God, and there's also a context of the imagery that Jesus is applying to the cursing of this fig tree. And what we see Jesus is doing, he is reminding his disciples of Jeremiah's prophetic judgment on God's people. And the best way to see what is happening with the cursing of the fig tree is is what we call an acted-out parable. It's a living parable. So if you know Jesus' ministry, then Jesus often taught in parables, right? Jesus would tell stories. He would tell parables so that people could uh, understand the kingdom. In this situation, Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand judgment, And instead of just teaching them about judgment, Jesus acts out the parable. He doesn't just say, Israel is a tree who has no figs, and as a result, God is going to curse them. Jesus actually acts it out. He's walking on the road to Bethany. He sees a tree that is full in leaf, yet it has no fruit. And Jesus takes this opportunity to act out a parable. What Jesus is doing is teaching. And that teaching is helping his people understand Jeremiah and specifically God's curse on his people in the past so that they understand in the present how God views their current unwillingness to continue to obey. Now, how do I know that? Well, we know that because of the cleansing of the temple. We know, as I told you last week, I told you last week, that there's a connection, and that's where we're going to get to as our last point, we, or, or our second point, the connection to the cleansing of the temple. So just in recap, in summary, what was the meaning of the cursing of the fig tree? It was an object lesson. It was an object lesson about God's judgment on Israel's failure to produce fruit. Everybody needs to know and understand that, all right? Everybody hear me. The cursing of the fig tree was an object lesson on Israel's failure to produce fruit. Israel was full of leaves and had no fruit, and as a result, the people would be judged. Now let's make a connection to the cleansing of the temple. I told you last week, the reason we studied the cleansing of the temple first is because the cursing of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple are absolutely related. And I told you, actually, we called it a Mark sandwich. That wasn't to be funny. It's that Mark has this habit in the way that he writes of often introducing something, having a story that comes in between, and then finishing the story in another part. And that's what we have here. We have the cursing of the fig tree. Then we have the cleansing of the temple. And then the cursing of the fig tree, we had the conclusion. And so Mark is showing these things are intimately connected. 
There's something happening between the cursing of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple. Well, what is that? Well, last week we studied that Jesus did pronounce a curse on the temple. He quoted Isaiah. He quoted Jeremiah. He sat there and was teaching. And what we saw is that Jesus wants the disciples and he wants the people of Israel to make this connection. In the very same way that Jesus pronounced judgment on the fig tree and what happened in verse 21, it was fulfilled. Peter looks at it the next day and says, Jesus, it's withered from the roots up. In the very same way Jesus pronounced judgment on the fig tree, he's just pronounced judgment on the temple. And what does Jesus want them to connect? That if the fig tree withered and Jesus' word was fulfilled, then the temple will surely also prophetically be judged just like Jesus has said. It says, if, if, if A, then B, if Jesus cursed the fig tree and it dried up, then Jesus' pronouncement of judgment on the temple will also be fulfilled. And what we know is that, as I've mentioned again and again, in one week, the temple's going to come to an end. As far as the sacrificial system, the temple will still stand, the building, for about another six years. But it was judged, and it would come to an end. This is the meaning. What is the meaning of the fig tree? What is the connection of the fig tree? It was an object lesson. It showed that Jesus' people had not borne fruit, and they were judged. The fig tree was judged. The temple was judged. Everybody understand that. Uh, when, as we study Scripture, there's times where it's, we study and it's emotional. There's times where we study and there has to be information that you understand so you can experience the transformation. This is one of those unpacking kind of lessons. To be faithful to the text today is to teach you exactly what it meant. Everybody understand? Fig tree? Object lesson? So let's just bring the story. We're going to close this morning. Because if that's what the cursing of the fig tree meant then and there, it was primarily a lesson acted out among Jesus' disciples and also among those of the temple. Well, how do we apply it today? So let's end there. And let's just ask ourselves, ourselves a question. What does this object lesson Jesus was teaching his disciples, what does it mean for us today? And it's really quite simple. God is still looking for fruit. God is still looking for fruit. And the question is, when he looks at our lives, will he find nothing but leaves? Let's remind ourselves of a few things that Jesus says about fruit. Remember, we're in the last week of Jesus' life, but he's had three years of active ministry. So let me just remind you of some key passages and some key teachings about Jesus and what he has to say about fruit. Matthew 7, 17-20 says this. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus makes quite clear any genuine faith will result in genuine fruit. They always go together. That a tree that has leaves and no fruit has no reason to believe that they genuinely know Christ or that they're genuinely in covenant with God. Jesus leaves us no other option. There is no option of a tree that is in Christ that doesn't bear fruit. No option. I'll tell you, and and I tell you this, not in a condescending way, but I was going through discipleship with uh, a, uh, I, was, I was going through discipleship with, with the gentleman. Des was going through discipleship with uh, the, the wife. And we went through this idea of bearing fruit. And immediately, the first question that came up to their mind is, I know my family is saved, but I know they have no fruit. I know my family is saved, but I know they have no fruit. Because as we studied God's word, the first question was, we go to church, or we went to church, and we believe in God, but if I actually look at my mother or father, brother or sister or friend, fundamentally there is no fruit, apart from they're a relatively good person. They say they believe in God. Here's what you need to understand from the fig tree. Any tree that has its roots in a relationship with God bears fruit. Bar none. It's it's an impossibility to say you're a Christian and to have no physical fruit. Jesus says in John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. If you didn't agree with me the first time, I'll just invite you to study John 15, 8 the second time. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What does Jesus say his disciples do? They bear fruit. Because it's impossible. We're, if we were to expand and look at John 15, it says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear fruit. It's a natural principle. In fact, it can't happen. You can't have a living tree or a living plant not bear fruit unless it's diseased. And what happens when it's diseased? We're, we're specifically told in Matthew 7, it says, cut it down, throw it into the fire. Because it's not real, it's not a tree that is bearing fruit. Last week I ended with the question, we talked about what was the main point of last week in the cleansing of the temple, and we said, worship matters. How you worship matters to God. And I asked you, how's your worship? Today, as we look at the fig tree, what I want you to see is, Fruit matters. My question to you today is, how is your fruit? Because 
if the parable of the fig tree was to teach the disciples, but also to teach Israel that God desires fruit, and where there is no fruit, we can expect judgment. Now you think, where is grace? Well, God's grace to us is seen in the, in the many times that we fail, and the many seasons that we fail. When we think of this judgment that Jesus is acting out, this was not a judgment acted out on every single day and every single week and every single season where our lives didn't bear fruit. God graciously, graciously, graciously dealt with his people and sent prophet after prophet after prophet to call them back. So please don't see this as some kind of condescending judgment where every single day of your life where you mess up that God is looking to judge. No. Instead, see this as God's grace that he saved you, that he sent his son to die for you so that you would begin to produce fruit. But you also need to see that a warning in that, that if you are genuinely saved, you will also have genuine fruit. So please don't separate this from grace. But please don't give yourself a free ride. Don't abuse grace. And don't make excuses for yourself, your friends, or your family. Because the most loving thing to do is to speak the truth. And when our family and our friends don't have any genuine fruit, the best thing we could do is not to go and to judge them. It's to go and to continue to share with them the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which gives us grace to start running the race of faith. We don't go to our friends and to condemn. We go to them with grace and we continue to share the gospel in hopes that something begins to happen in their life where if they have heard of Jesus Christ or they have heard of God, that that seed of truth begins to grow. That's what we do. We fan the flame. We continue to plant the seed and we pray and ask God that there would be genuine fruit because I can't produce it in your life and you can't produce it in my life, but there's one thing I know that can produce it and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. And fruit is always a loving response to what God has done for us. Fruit is not legalism. Fruit is a loving response to a God who loves us. So how is your fruit? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and we ask that the words of this parable begin to take root in our heart. God, we believe that you do desire for your glory and for our good and our joy, fruit, fruit that abides. And we ask that today, each of us would examine our hearts carefully And to ask, is there fruit? What is fruit? God, fruit is simply obedience to what you say is good and right and true. And organizing our lives around that. We pray that where each of us is living out of step with your spirit, where we have sins that we are not giving up, where there's areas of our lives that we remain in control and do not give you control, would you prune Would you convict? And would you give us hearts to want to respond to you in love? Not out of fear of judgment, 
but out of experiencing your grace. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.